sleep. We had a big conversation this morning about sleep on a particularly gloomy Tuesday morning, which might have made you sleepier. But even though we're still a few weeks out, back to school isn't all that far. So we asked a sleep expert, when should parents get kids back into that normal sleep routine before it's time to head back to class? James Murphy, Winnipeg Blue Bomber legend, is going to be the latest inductee into the Blue Bombers Ring of Honor. We got a recap and wrap from the police and fire games. Fort Gary Brewing is getting a big boost from the government to expand something called Hector's Hard. And we had lots of fun asking you about surprises that you got at work. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's back next week. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. This is the Tuesday, August 8th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off once again this week. Tyson Ricky and Master Control for producer Jeff Fortier. And Mr. Greg, I don't know about you, but I feel kind of like I need a long weekend from my long weekend. This is not uncommon. You get a little bit of a break. You soak it up. Maybe you overcommit. You overdo some things on the relaxation front, which is sort of an oxymoron. But you try to take advantage of not having to be at work. And you end up needing a holiday from your vacation or a vacation from (laughs) your holiday. And so here you are on a Tuesday wishing it was Saturday, Sunday, or Monday all over again. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, look, it was, the weather was fantastic. Uh, I'm oh, not, like it was beautiful. It was warm, but not scorching hot. Yes, and uh, I enjoyed three rounds of golf over the weekend. Saturday, I went out to a place called Jerusalem, which is uh, near Steinbach. It's just down the road from Quarry Oaks. It's a, a fantastic, fun course. And then Sunday, played at uh, Kingswood, and then yesterday played. At, that Kingswood is in LaSalle, and then yesterday played at Elmhurst. How'd you get in there? That's I've, sort of exclusive, isn't it? It is a private course. I have some of my buddies are members there. So I uh, I went. It's actually the second time I've played there in a couple of weeks, and both times I played awful because it's a, it's a difficult course. And yes, but yesterday in particular, uh, I just sort of I, I could tell right away that. I probably should have just stayed in bed. I do not have the energy to be here. But it was I was happy to be there. It was just like I had to accept defeat very early on. What do the they day. say about golf? The worst day golfing beats the best day at work or yep. similar phraseology. Yep. And yeah. it was it, it was it was I was glad to to see that I was able to sort of not just control my anger but not even have it because oh, 20 years ago I would have been surrendered. A, yeah. I would have been a raging, angry lunatic. I got <laughs> mad at myself through the round, but I just sort of was like, well, whatever. Good. I'm here with my buddies Good. and uh, it's a beautiful day. And it was, I wasn't at, like you said, I wasn't at work. I let the dogs out this morning and noticed that it had rained a little bit. I'm looking at the weather radar and listening to Drew's forecast. So rain looks like it could be a factor through most of the day today. Yep. But we've started uh, drying some of our clothes outside. I don't know if that's anything your mom did or anything you've ever done, but the clothes and the sheets and the comforter just smell just a little bit different when you hang them outside. Yep. Yeah, let the dogs out. and There are two comforters <laughs> sitting outside. Oh, no. uh, I thought they would have come in 
last night, but they they didn't. So they're getting uh they're getting rewashed, I guess. <laughs> via Mother Nature. That's the only downside with hanging your your clothes. You, you've got to be extra vigilant on on the weather forecast. Then would it? Oh, what about the potential to absorb any smoke smell? Yeah, well, they're gonna they're gonna end up having to be rewashed. So we're gonna have to repeat the process. Yeah, wash, rinse. Repeat. <laughs> I don't know when. When's when's the sun coming back? Because uh, I don't golf very often, but I'm supposed to be golfing tomorrow. Oh is, yeah, is it supposed to be any better tomorrow? Uh, what does Drew have uh, to say? Thirty percent. Oh, north wind at forty. Perfect. Uh, that'll make my bad game even worse. So that's excellent. Where are you playing tomorrow? Uh, Corey Oaks. Okay. Well, some of the some of that course is well protected by trees. Okay, well that's good to know. So that should break down some of the wind a little bit for you. But uh, indeed, August long, we're happy to have enjoyed the time. But I could already use a nap. <laughs> so, um, and as it turns out, on the subject of sleep, at eight oh five. We're going to sleep, speak to the sleep doctor, Diana McMillan. So we will have this conversation in August almost every year in an effort to help parents get their kids back on track with their sleep. The ridiculously late night school isn't that far away. I think we normally do this conversation a little bit later in August, but this might be the ideal time, Brett, because I think your kids need some Time to ramp back into what looks like a normal sleep routine. So Diana McMillan, one of the leading sleep specialists anywhere, will let us know how do we achieve that? What are the benefits? What are the drawbacks? Why do you absolutely not want to head into September not having reestablished some sort of proper sleep patterns? I know my kids are sleep until 11 30 1 30 2 o'clock some days yeah now they're working and so their shifts are later and so their whole i remember having this argument with my dad once upon a time you know i understand dad you get up at 5 30 in the morning i worked until 2 30 in the morning so my day's a little bit different than yours so i'm giving them the benefit of the doubt but at some point they're gonna have to transition to their school day routine. When do we do it? How do we do it? Yeah, that's right. Because uh, I remember like now if I get four hours of sleep, I'll wake up grumpy, maybe even like in pain, you know, when you're so tired, everything just hurts, but then you just sort of power through it and, and carry on. But to when I was a teenager, there's no way I would have been able to survive on four hours of sleep every night four to five hours of sleep just wouldn't have happened. Cause I too was that, that teen who would, and, and uh, even in my twenties, I'd sleep about 10, 11, 12 hours. No problem. I was going to say four or five, let alone like eight is not enough for a lot of kids, Yeah, which is, you know, which is great. You know, you grow and you sleep all those different things. So Diana McMillan, looking forward to, to visiting with her. She's coming to visit us in the studio. That's right. Exciting so time. She has one of those terrific five. voices. In person, it might be even more difficult to to stay awake. She's soothing. Yes. Relaxing. It's a, she's in the perfect uh, field yes, of research indeed. because uh, she, she has that, that soothing voice that might actually want to put you to sleep in a nice way. It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off this week. And just a heads up that uh, 680 CJOB will once again be broadcasting live 
at the Manitoba Open. I believe the three of us were hoping to be there at the very least on the Thursday morning on August 24th. That was a fun time last year, uh, although the first day did get rained out. So hopefully they'll have some better luck this year um, as we discuss that in the current rain happening right now in Winnipeg. But right now we want to talk to you about surprises at work, whether they're good surprises, bad surprises, funny surprises. This has to do with the fact that uh, when we got to work this morning, I guess they made some network changes over the weekend, and we all had to change our password. I I tried to log in, and it wouldn't let me in, and uh, I thought, I'm pretty sure my password doesn't expire for a few more days because I got that sort of two-week notice your password will expire in 14 days. Your password will expire in 10 days. It's usually one of those cans I kicked down the road until the last day. So I knew I still had a few days, but I did indeed have to change the password. And turns out I wasn't the only one. Whatever. Maybe a note went out. I don't know. It's not the end of the world. But it was still kind of a bit of a surprise for us all. So that got me thinking of other surprises, and I started giggling to myself. So we want you to tell us a story about a surprise you got at work, whether it was good, bad, funny, whatever. Tell us a story for a chance to win tickets for Burt Block Party. Let's welcome back Cameron Poitras. Hello there, Cam. Hello, hello. Uh, the best surprises at work are 95% of the time food-based. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's when somebody shows up. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes the bombers will bring us something. Sometimes somebody will drop something off. That's the best. Especially, especially when you forgot lunch that day or forgot to pack mm-hmm. something. And you're thinking like, oh, man, this is... The food gods stinking, are looking out for you, man. This stinking lunch here is going to cost me 20 bucks here downtown Winnipeg, and you're counting dollars, and all of a sudden, hello. And this, like, god, the food gods come down and bestow a wonderful plate of some sort of probably very, very bad for you food that you shovel down your craw, and you're very, very happy. <laughs> <laughs> the bombers dropped off a really sweet uh, double cheeseburger last week. Oh, I missed that. It was excellent. That's yeah. uh, in the fridge for you, Cam. <laughs> <laughs> Still. Oh, wow. Thanks for saving that for me. Sarah McCarthy, what about you? Yeah, mine was going to be food related as well. Like when we had that popcorn machine for like weeks on end, that was a good surprise. But uh, another one that happened here, I've never worked in a building this high up. And so whenever the window washers come around, that's always a surprise to me. One t- The first time I saw it, my heart skipped a beat. That is a job I could not do. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, the 30th. I remember what, there were some guys washing the windows on my apartment building. Mm-hmm. On our and the wind picked up. I don't know. I can't remember. Oh. If do you remember that video? I do remember yeah. that video. You no, know, they were they were trying to to lower their their carriage. I don't know what you call that. <laughs> uh, they're, they're they're moving plank, shell, plank, the lift plank. thing. And uh, and it was like swinging out like twenty feet from oh. the building. Oh, well, it's not That's super scary. scary. And it can be windy on that side of your building. When there's wind nowhere else yeah. in the city, because it's a genuine wind tunnel, is it not? <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Yeah, it just mm-hmm. swirls through there. So, uh, yeah, the window washers, good stuff. Yeah, Clay Young had a, did an interview with some of those window washers. He just, you know, one of them, because I think they go through the, um, the uh, well, we have a little place where you get coffee or whatever, the lunchroom. Yeah, they, they come through yeah. our office to get out on the ledge. Yeah, so Clay <laughs> oh. Clay decided he was going right, to, I'll interview one of these people. And um, and she, he's like, how do you do it? How do you go over the side? And she just goes, I just clip myself in and I go. Mm-mm. I guess there's only other, that's the only way to do it. Because if I, if you sit there and, st- like, I, can, oh. I don't even like to yeah. even go near the window. 
I get so nervous uh, around uh, heights and stuff like that. But so. there's lots of people couldn't do what you do either, right? <laughs> How do you do it? <laughs> I just wow. talk. I yeah. the open the microphone and I, I, I just do what I do. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. Mackling, what's a surprise? You got to work. Uh, the p- p- place that I was uh, starting a new job at went out of business, went bankrupt. Oh. I moved Ooh. to Calgary, left on a Saturday, went to my new job on the Monday, and I walked in. And I was like, that's a lot of tables and chairs over there in that room. Oh, yeah, Chi-Chi's went bankrupt on uh, Saturday. Oh, this is great. Uh, I have all my stuff here. I just rented an apartment. Yeah, you're going to be okay because this location is staying open under the bankruptcy reorganization or whatever it was that they were doing, Chapter 7 or whatever it's called in Canada. But yeah, they had closed half of their locations in Western Canada. I was just lucky enough to be going to one that was surviving during this financial reorganization, but that was a little uncomfortable. I'll tell you that. Uh, yeah. How long, how long were you there for? Uh, about a year, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Did they stay open after you left? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't manage to, to ruin it that badly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember the one surprise that, that the one that was making me giggle was this was on my 10 year anniversary here at CJOB and I had forgotten the date. So I was sitting in the newsroom um, and just as I had like shovel a big pile of chocolate chip cookies into my face, my boss comes around the corner and he says, attention, everyone, attention, everyone just wanted to point out. So like, he looks down at me as I've got my hand over my mouth and my cheeks look like a squirrel, <laughs> you know, pack, gr- packing nuts in there for the winter. Uh, and just wanted to point out it's uh, Brett's 10 year anniversary. So <laughs> congratulations, Brett. And he starts clapping and everybody starts clapping. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> couldn't even say thank you because I had so many chocolate chip cookies in my mouth. Nothing could be more perfect, actually, if you ask me. That is that is excellent timing. I think it was uh, those famous Amos, those like mini chocolate chip cookies. <sighs> So I probably had just taken the bag that I got out of the vending machine and dumped them into my face, <laughs> and then he decides to acknowledge. Tyson, what about you? I, uh, when I was in grade 10, I was working at a garden center for a grocery store, and I, I hated the job so much. I, I, knew, I knew that it was going to be like just part-time, and then around August, they'd let me just let me go so that I could you know, get ready for school and stuff. And I came back one day for work, and my boss says to me, hey, I need to talk to you about something. I was like, yes, he's going to let me go early. <laughs> And so I brings me to his office. He's like, hey, you know, uh, yesterday there was a, something with the garden center when you locked up. I was like, oh, did I did I forget to lock up or something? He's like, no, you locked up. There was a old lady you locked into the garden center. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, I, this was probably wasn't the best reaction, but I kind of just laughed at, because I was so outrageous. Like I locked I locked a lady in the garden center, and he's like, yep, she was she was shaking the feds, screaming again. <laughs> 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 How long was she in there? Uh, maybe like, I, I don't think long. Like probably like 15, 20 minutes, but. Long enough. You, yeah, long enough. And then I like, came into work and I was like, man, I was talking to one of my coworkers. Like, you won't believe what I did. I locked someone in the garden center. And he's like, no way. He's like, I did that two weeks ago, too. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, it's an epidemic. Yeah, it's a, I mean, what, sometimes on those shifts, you just uh, you do a little check around. That sometimes there's a lady who's you know taking her time, <laughs> bent over, you can't see her. She's looking at a different plant. It, it happens. Happens to everyone. Did you maintain employment? 
uh, for a couple weeks after that, and then <laughs> I was on my way back to school. They they really need the workers that year. They really yeah, they need were desperate. Two clearly, people in. Yeah, yeah. You both you both managed to stick around. They didn't send out a memo after that. After oh, the no. first one, they, they did, didn't they, say you know be extra careful. They they do that. Garden center was going was closing down in a couple weeks. Today. <laughs> Enter the garden center at your own peril. Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. And this morning on Breakfast with the Bombers, some exciting news about one of the football club's most exclusive honors. Pass complete to James Murphy, first down at the 38. Hi, my name is James Murphy. I played for the Blue Bombers from 1981 to 1991. Yesterday it was announced that Murphy would be enshrined into the Blue Bombers' ring of honor. Yeah, three-time Grey Cup champion, CFL's most outstanding player in 1986. Murphy was inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame back in 2000. And number 21 will become just the 15th individual to have his name unveiled inside Investors Group Field in the Ring of Honor. I caught up with James yesterday afternoon, Brett, and the first question, how did you find out about this? Greg, when I got the the phone call for Bob Irvin at work, actually I missed his call and um, and when I checked my message and uh, uh, I said, hey Murph, it's Bob Irvin, Uh, give me a call. Um, I was like, oh boy, Bob Irvin phoned me. What could this be? In the back of my mind, I was thinking, but then I'm thinking, no, it just probably want to go play golf or something. So I phoned him back, and first thing he says was, uh, congratulations, Murph, uh, the media, and, and I'm on the media, and we, we've chosen you to be the next person for the Ring of Honor. And, and it was just one of those moments, right, where um, it just, I was sort of lost of words. It was just fantastic, and it was just, just a great news uh, to receive. And from that point on, it's just like I've, I've been walking around in the cloud, and and it's just it was a great uh, phone call, one one that um, kind of similar to the one that I got for going into the Hall of CFL Hall of Fame. When you get a call like that, does the whole career sort of flash before your eyes? Who are you thinking of first? Do you remember the sort of things that were popping into your head? Absolutely. The first thing I thought of was all the coaches all the players uh, that I played with, all the coaches that coached me, my mom, my, my dad, and all the people that really encouraged me. Uh, just so many different people just popping to, to, my, to my mind because something like this, nobody ever, and certainly not me, you know, could ever reach this, this height and uh, without you know, a, a lot of good people. And actually, it, it, it's, it's sort of a recognition for the people that, have, uh, that, that I played with, you know, to be able to uh, reach those sort of three great cups, you know, MVP. Uh, you know, I need people to, to block for me. I need guys that uh, you know, protect the quarterback, run. And, and we had a lot of those great people from Tom Clemens, John Huffnagel, Jeff Boyd, Joe Paplosky, Rick House, fantastic, just offensively. And obviously, you have to have a great defense to be able to shut people down. And, and I was just lucky and fortunate. And uh, we, Greg, you and I have talked about this uh, a few times about the, those uh, eight, the years in the 80s. And I'm so just so fortunate and, and, and thankful and grateful to be able to have been a part of it. You talk about the great teammates, but I think that makes this even that more special because when you think of the great players that you did play with 
and to stand out above them. And I know you're not going to look at it that way, but to get, receive this recognition when others may not, I think is an extra feather in your cap. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And, but all credit do go to those guys. Now I realize the extra time, the extra work that I put in, and the off-season, the work that I put in, the, the, the concentration, becoming a student of the game finally pays off. It's a special feeling. And, and, but again, I, I thank all the credit. You know, uh, I, I'm a very faithful guy. Faith, have strong faith. And I just believe that the energy that I was able to uh, be around in those locker rooms and those great cup teams just kind of elevated me to, uh, to be the best player that I can be. And, and, and I'm just so thankful that I had that opportunity to play with some special guys. And you're hearing the voice of James Murphy, former Winnipeg Blue Bomber, Bomber legend. He is going to be the next person enshrined into the Blue Bombers ring of honor. And Greg, you can really hear how special this is uh, to James. You can hear it in his voice. I, safe to say, grateful for this honor? No question. Grinning ear to ear when I saw him yesterday and how happy he is is unmistakable. And you say special. Murph is a special person and his connection to Winnipeg and Blue Bomber fans is exactly that. This is a, a special place for a lot of players that are here for a time. and They move away and, and they'll come back for a visit once in a while. You've decided to make your home here. You've, you've become an integral part of the community. Talk about the connection with, with Winnipeg and the connection Winnipeg has with you. Well, it's it's just a special, you know. It's it's one of those things where you know you at the beginning you're not really sure. And uh, my second child was born here, so that kind of you know put some ties, really some connections for me. But then you know as the years go by and you receive so much love in in in, in the community, you know, people uh, you know always uh, you know pleasant to be around. It just sort of it, it sort of just make you realize that this is a special place, and not, and not only that, you know, Winnipeg is a place where basically, I, I as an adult, as an adult, this is this is the only place, the home that I really had after football was uh, was over. I mean, that was sort of unexpected. I wasn't really quite ready for that, but that's that's the business or the nature of the game, and I understand that. I was sort of lost. I was sort of like, man, what am I going to do now? And I didn't really realize the transferable skills that I had learned, you know, playing professional football, being on time, you know, uh, being a professional uh, in, in your actions and ways and just uh, the hard work. And so I knew I had those skills, but I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. And I, so I thought Winnipeg would be a great place to uh, maybe put those, those transferable skills into action. And I got lucky and, and had a chance to uh, go into business with a buddy of mine at the Forks. Like, this is my home. I, it, it's just, as you know, it, it's just a, a special place. And I'm very lucky and fortunate to be able to still be here. It's hard to believe you played your last game 33 years ago. It, it, like, for me, you know, I grew up watching you play. And to see you in the community and to imagine that it's been over three decades it's almost impossible i know i know and you know what i'm lucky i'm lucky to even have you as a neighbor just a couple houses down the street so we see each other and we talk about sports we talk about football so that sort of helped to me to be able to relive some of those those moments 
because uh, well, not only you, but a lot of other people in the neighborhood and uh, in the community, right? They remember moments and oh yeah, oh I don't quite remember that, but yeah. <laughs> so so I, I think that's special. The memories that uh, last forever. And, and, and I think that's so important, especially for me, to be able to know that I was able to create some special moments and memories for a whole lot of people. It's great to be able to have, uh, uh, you know, that opportunity to talk about football. Uh, like you said, 33 years, it has been a long time. Uh, as a matter of fact, last night uh, I was watching the first game that I ever played in 1982. And then I look at all the great players that was here before I got here. So I have to give uh, pay tribute to those guys that uh, you know paid the way for me. And when I looked at that game last night, 1982 semifinal against Calgary, a game where we ended up winning and going to play in the Western Final. From then to now, I can't believe you know just what what it just transpired and going into the Ring of Honor. James Murphy will join his longtime coach Cal Murphy, teammate Joe Poploski, the man who delivered him the news, and 11 other Blue Bomber greats on September 9th at IG Field. Yes, the largest possible crowd of the season at the Banjo Bowl. Can't wait for that. Uh, a very fitting honor, and I'm I'm in my own, my mid fifties now, Brett. I'm <laughs> sitting in the backyard at uh, one of my idols, football idols homes yesterday afternoon sharing a sharing a beer with them talking about this and you know this is you know 15 year old greg mackling would not believe that this was happening 39 years later uh it was just uh, so wonderful to to see this happen for james i met him for the first time when i was about 15 years old he and Kevin Nealis were practicing at the at the Winnipeg Velodrome. They were running some lines, and some friends of mine from from football were watching them. And Kevin and James invited us down, showed us some skills, and and just were really giving and 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 interactive. And here we are, all these years later, and and Murph is still in Winnipeg and going to go under that that Ring of Honor. Boy, oh boy, it's just it's almost unimaginable. Breakfast with the Bombers, once again, brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. Coach's shows tonight, by the way. Coach's show tonight, Derek Taylor, head coach of the Blue Bombers, Mike O'Shea. They'll break down what happened last week against BC, that BC beatdown, and then the the you know the issues that the Bombers are going to have to face and break down heading into Edmonton Thursday night against the Elks, a team that is yet to win this season and has lost 21 home games in a row. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off this week. Question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. And this has to do with the liquor workers because all union members have walked off the job as of 7 this morning. So the question at cjob.com, do you support the liquor workers' strike? Yes, no, or tough call? I can see both sides. Cast your vote at cjob.com. We're also asking you about surprises that you've gotten at work, whether they're good, bad, weird, funny, for a chance to win tickets for the Burt Block Party. What does Colin have for us, Greg? I worked at a grocery store in high school and would quite often have the opening shift on the weekends. Showing up one Saturday morning, 5 a.m., I noticed the front window of our lobby smashed with a thick metal chain running into the lobby. Upon closer look... 
before calling the police. The chain was attached to the ATM in the lobby, and then the chain ended up in the back bumper of a vehicle with a license plate attached a further few feet down from the smashed glass. The ATM hadn't moved an inch as we had it bolted down after a couple of other attempts to steal it previously. I guess the wonderful smart criminals who used their actual vehicle and license plate, by the way, gave it all with their Dodge <laughs> Neon and ripped the back bumper off in a heartbeat and they drove off. FYI, police caught up to them pretty quick with the license plate. Oh, that is great. I mean, it's a great ending. Yeah, just stupid criminals. But what a mess to show up to at work. It's one thing. Sometimes we'll come into the studio in the morning and we'll think, what the heck happened here last night? <laughs> or you know, the chairs it's thrown about, strewn about. Complete or disarray. Total chaos. But to... Show up at work at 5 a.m. to find a smashed window. Uh, that's a mess you have to deal with. And like I remember, oh boy, I don't remember how many years ago. I've been here almost 20 years. This would have been in my first two or three years, I guess, because we were still on Portage. Uh, was it Portage and Lenore? Or just across the street from the Liquor Mart, actually, um, west of Arlington. And somebody attempted to break in while we were there because we were there at 4 a.m., and, uh, yeah, they, they actually smashed the front window Jeez. and we had to call the cops. They didn't say that was, they didn't enter, enter the building, but then suddenly there's this broken glass mess and our engineers had to fill it with ply, sure. plywood. I always wonder where, like, when you see windows get broken <laughs> and immediately there's a piece of plywood, like, where did is there like is there just like this magical zipper dimension where you go okay I need emergency plywood <laughs> it just kind of comes down from somewhere yeah. that's a great question I mean I I guess when you call one of those emergency response companies yeah th- that's part of their gig is they'll seal things up for you and and clean that up but if you have to do it on your own you're not like Home Depot opens early. But it doesn't open till seven o'clock. So, yeah, you'd have to wait a little bit of time there. That's a great question. So, Colin, thank you for that story. Tell us your story about a surprise you got at work, whether it was good or bad or weird or delightful, whatever. 204 780 6868 for a chance to win tickets for the Burt Block Party to see Cheap Trick, Trooper, and guests on Sunday, August 20th. It is Mackling and McGarry McNabb's off this week on a sleepy Tuesday morning after a gorgeous August long weekend. We got a bit of a gloomy morning and we can feel it. The uh, It's tough getting back to work, especially on a day like today. So why don't we talk about sleep? Because sure. I know I'm looking forward to having more of it as soon as I get home. Have you already got it uh, penciled into your schedule, it's Brett? right into bed as soon as I get home. And I, look, I know the last three words students want to hear right now are back to school but sleep routines heading back into school are important and so we're curious like when is it time to get the kids back into a more disciplined routine well let's turn to the sleep specialist diana mcmillan 
is an associate professor at the University of Manitoba and clinical chair at Health Sciences Centre. Diana, always great to visit with you. Wonderful to have you in our studio. Good morning. Happy to be here. So I am living this right now with my teenage boys. They start grade 12 in almost exactly a month from today. So is it common? Are we alone in this idea that the sleep routines for families like go way off the rails during summertime? Uh, no, I think you're right on target. Um, I mean, in part, it's because the daylight uh, days are longer, right? So um, it's it's harder to sleep when the, it's really bright out and it's hot. And as we're heading to the fall, actually, that's going to work towards us getting back into a better sleep rhythm where we're going to get the hopefully the needed sleep that we that we all need. And for the most part, I would say, you know, across Canada, across the world in general, there's good research to support this, that we're we're a sleep deprived society. So paying attention to that, getting into a good routine as we head back to school um, and to work um, is going to be a big benefit for all of us. So when is the right time for parents to start making changes to the kids' sleep routine after maybe being a little disrupted for the last few weeks? Well, um, almost any time, but I would definitely say, you know, within the next couple of weeks, um, have some conversations with, you know, with your family um, and really try to think about and, and get some, you know, good uh, evidence. And one of the sites that I always recommend is the Participation website. It's a Canadian uh, site. Great information about not only sleep and the requirements, um, but also ac- activity and exercise in that. So it's a really great site for teachers, for parents, and have that discussion. So with your younger kids, um, you know, talk about how uh, important sleep is. And it's not that um, it's a punishment, but it's actually going to help them learn and and help them grow and keep them healthier. And for our, you know, as, te- as the kids get older, teens, for example, Um, you know, have them have a look at the website. Um, They're getting to the age where they want to do more and more and be engaged. And if they realize that they're actually going to be happier, um, less anxious, and that the learning is going to be easier and more fun, um, it may be a, a leverage that you can really use to your advantage. One of the things that goes away in July in particular, not for everyone, but for a lot of kids, is that organized sport and the screen time goes way up and so you've got sort of that double whammy don't you in terms of of what's keeping kids from sleeping and then the the optimal situations even in their bedroom with screens and all these different things and and the lack of activity Uh, absolutely and you know what we know um, there's clear evidence that there's there's the screen time really impedes um, our ability to get good uh, uninterrupted Sleep and particularly for our teens, um, not only do you see that you know they're having less exercise, less activity, which you know you want to have a healthy tired that that's a really healthy uh, helpful thing, but also um, because it's it can be anxiety provoking as well and almost um, you can almost be obsessive about it. You know it, it can it can be. Uh, uh, really difficult for many teens to actually turn their cell phones off because they worry about missing a conversation that's going on. And so, you know, really 
putting some limits, some parameters as a parent on the amount of screen time and making sure that about an hour at least before uh, your uh, teen or your child is supposed to go, go to bed, because little younger kids uh, probably watch or have too much screen time too, um, is having that downtime without a screen. And partly it's because that light, um, especially in the blue light range, suppresses our melatonin. And so you may have heard of melatonin. It's an endogenous hormone. It helps us to fall asleep and stay asleep. And with that um, you know, bright light, we're suppressing that and we're, we're not only um, physiologically less tired, but we're also engaged in terms of what we're seeing. Our brain is active. And in order to fall asleep, we need to have a sort of a calm mind and a calm body. And, you know, unless we have both of those, it's going to be difficult. So we want to give our kids and us, um, our, ourselves as well, the best opportunity to fall asleep. Who needs more sleep, little kids or teenagers? Everybody, actually. But teens um, are particularly sleep deprived. I've, I've done some work with uh, different high schools and um, it's really um, staggering. Some of these kids are getting, you know, three and four hours of sleep. And that is just no, um, it, there's, it's really hard to learn or remember or um, not be reactive and be upset and anxious when you're you know, when you're just running on empty. I mean, after all, kids at teenagers need eight to ten hours of regular, uninterrupted sleep. And if, if you can imagine only getting you know three or four on a regular basis, you know that that is just a firestorm waiting to happen. Our younger kids, you know, from um, five to seventeen, need from anywhere from nine to eleven, depending on you know, their age and if they're having a growth spurt. So, and adults need seven to nine hours regularly. So, you know, we all need to take stock of whether we're getting enough sleep and how we can support better sleep. Sure, you know, darker room, a calm bedroom, clean sheets, a, a nice shower or bath before bed. Those are all going to support that. Less screen time. And if you're adult, um, you know, cutting back our no nightcap, <laughs> those kinds of things, reducing caffeine. But but our kids um, are also all sleep, you know, many are sleep deprived as well. Diana McMillan, Associate Professor at the University of Manitoba. She is the sleep specialist we love to turn to. Diana, pleasure to have you in studio. Thank you for joining us. No, you're always welcome. Thanks. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off this week. Coming up after Global News at 9 o'clock, we are going to check in with Fort Gary Brewing because they got a huge shot in the arm last week from the feds to help them expand what's become quite a popular product, one that I knew of but didn't realize it was Fort Gary's product. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I remember when they were sort of the first and only game in town as it, as it related to craft brewing. I don't even think we called it craft brewing at that point. It might have been a micro brew, might have been the popular terminology back then. This goes back to the, I guess, the late 90s. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, uh, be interesting to see how their business has evolved over the years and to the point now where they're expanding. I can't wait to hear what product you're talking about either. And then at 935, we'll check in with Kevin Donnelly from True North about the Burt Block Party. And we do have tickets to give away for Sunday, August 20th to see Cheap Trick and Trooper at the Burt Block Party. And we're asking you to tell us a story about a time you just got a surprise at work, whether it was a good one, bad one, funny one. Tell us a story. We'll pick a winner at 915. The largest ever sports competition held in Manitoba has come officially to an end. Yeah, that's right. More than 8,500 athletes, 2,800 volunteers, and hundreds of events wrapped on Sunday as the World Police and Fire Games came to a close on Sunday. Chief Operating Officer Mike Edwards joins us now. Mike, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, hey, congratulations to you and your team for executing these games. Have you have you been able to take a breath yet? Uh, yeah, we uh, we finished up uh, clearing off all our venues yesterday. Everybody was off uh, by about noon tomorrow. Now we got a couple days off. Uh, the team put in an immense amount of work and can't say enough about everything that they did to accomplish this and uh, and supporting the, the thousands and thousands of volunteers that came out. What's the feedback been like, whether it's from the volunteers, from the athletes, or other stakeholders around the province? It's been exceptionally overwhelming positive. Uh, We've heard every comment from athletes in, this is the best organized they've ever had, specific to their sport, the nicest, friendliest volunteers. Um, to the uh, just the greatest experience that they've had. We did get a lot of, we didn't know Manitoba had that. We didn't know that was in Winnipeg. So, And that's from a lot of Canadians as well. So it's been absolutely overwhelmingly positive. The volunteers, same thing. They had a great time. We, uh, we're getting endless emails and, uh, and comments from volunteers about the experience they had meeting all the athletes and the first responders from around the world. So we're very, very, very pleased with how everything played out. Now, I haven't really been out uh, for a meal over the last couple of weeks, uh, Mike, but I had uh, friends in from out of town who said that their hotel was jam-packed with athletes. I was at the Sea Bears game Friday night. It was clear that there were athletes there. And at the Blue Bomber game on Thursday night, there were athletes uh, very visible at the Blue Bomber game. So, the you know, this whole promised economic activity and the, and the cascading benefits from these games uh, is perfectly obvious to me. Are, are you receiving feedback that it was obvious to others? Yeah, so we we are um, with our Friends of the Games program. So we engage with a lot of hospitality, food and beverage, tourist uh, tourist attractions, and and the Bombers as well, who are a great partner for us um, to provide opportunities and basically be the Yelp or the Google for the athletes. We wanted to direct all that money that was happening to those hundreds of businesses around the city, um, so that we could have the economic impact spread as far as we could. So we were very very pleased that that played out that way. Who was, did you have, did you keep, have standings? Like who, which country uh, emerged with the the highest count? Uh, Last we saw is Canada just overtook the U.S. uh, with, uh, with the weightlifting. Um, Canada dominated in that on the final day, but we are getting a couple of last results that are coming in. Once they have, there is a 48 hour dispute. um, So they get to challenge. So we do get the final ones of those today. But as of right now, Canada is number one and U.S. is number two. What do you think the legacy of these games will be, Mike? 
Uh, we're hoping a number of things. This is a catalyst for future events to come to Winnipeg. Uh, we are looking forward to having the athletes that came for the first time to the games uh, be, be repeat athletes in the in future games, and also a recognition by uh, by community, um, both members and stakeholders and businesses, is that events like this can really drive economic impact. Um, and so, being able to get the uh, the three levels of government, all the all the key partners and the businesses behind these type of events and start and uh, really put forward bidding on more and having that success it, it really drives a lot of economic impact um, the volunteerism as well uh, we know that during COVID there was a bit of a lull in volunteerism and so having such a positive impact hopefully those volunteers are now you know going to be putting their volunteer hours and the desire to go towards a lot of the long-standing homegrown events um, that had a bit of a shortage coming out of COVID. So the games are on from July 28th to August 6th, and it's not like uh, a team of people showed up on July 27th and just said, okay, let's set this up and do this. Like there, I've met some people who have been in Winnipeg from for a year getting ready for these games in their various roles. So for those folks, what happens now? Do they just pack up and, and go and get ready for the, the next one? Yeah, that's kind of it. Um, I, I'm me and my family are one of them. We're we're called games junkies or games gypsies. Uh, you basically move from one large event to the next. Um, so we just uh, you know we look for the next opportunity. Uh, you know, one of our directors we're very pleased. Uh, he's heading to Toronto to take on FIFA World Cup 26 and be a leader uh, in that group. Um, and then a number of us are just, you know, seeing what opportunities are out there. You'll see some stay in Winnipeg and you'll see some move on. It's kind of a, a mix of everything uh, when it comes to that. It's not uncommon for uh, individuals that are in that type of a nomadic industry. They get to a certain point and they find the community that they like. And, it's, and it sounds like we have a couple of those as well. Well, Mike, uh, the impact that these games have had on the community, I, I think, is uh, is uh, still to be measured. But based on what we've heard from you and what I've heard throughout the community, uh, there's no doubt that this this World Police and Fire Games uh, lived up to the billing in my mind. Well, I appreciate that. And I know, I know that an immense amount of work went in by the staff. I cannot uh, praise and thank the staff enough. The volunteers stepped up. Um, and really are pleased that we were able to be a part of uh, this event to bring it to such a great community and really infuse some economic impact, especially still recovering from COVID. It's it's one of the big things as much as, you know, providing back to the first responders and bringing to the community. Um, both of those are of equal importance and equal pride for us as the staff and the board. And in terms of the the potential camaraderie between the athletes from different countries, like we see emergency workers, uh, they're always willing to help out in other parts of the country, other parts of the world. You know, we've seen firefighters come from all over the planet to help the wildfire situation in Canada, and they, they seem to do that without without hesitation. So what's it like for them to be able to come together in this kind of environment where they're, I mean, yeah, it's a competition, but I mean, it's games, it's, it's fun. Yeah, it's a it's a very different way of bringing them together. Uh, this organization was started back in 1985, the first games, and it was about camaraderie through sport. And we know that sport naturally does that. It brings communities together. But then when you bring a special community like first responders together in that atmosphere, it just, it, it increases it tenfold. Because what they go through on their job on a daily basis, we as civilians have no idea. So to be able to provide that opportunity and to increase that camaraderie so that they know 
that what the Australian Fire Department and what the Spanish Fire Department and what the Icelandic Fire Department go through is very, very similar on the job, both emotionally, mentally, and physically. And so to be able to bond over that and to be able to um, come to a place where first responders from around the world in a, in a safe environment is absolutely huge for them uh, to be able to create those lifelong friendships. I can't tell you how many thousands of athletes are going to be leaving here with new contacts, new relationships that they're going to have for the rest of their life um, that were built here in Winnipeg because of this. So Winnipeg was able to bring the first responder world together so that they have those relationships and those bonds forever. Mike Edwards, thank you once again. Thanks for the contribution that you've made uh, to our community and uh, best of luck to you. Hopefully our paths will cross again sometime. Thank you very much. Appreciate everything you guys did for us. Mike Edwards is the Chief Operating Officer for the World Police and Fire Games, which wrapped up on Sunday. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off this week. We've got tickets for the Burt Block Party. We're giving them away in our next segment. We're asking you to tell us about a surprise that you got at work. Good, bad, funny. Tell us a story. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. And then Kevin Donnelly from True North joins us at 9.35 to talk more about the Burt Block Party and what's on tap this year. And speaking about what's on tap, here's the headline (laughs) on a news release we got in just the last few days. Minister Vandell announces federal funding for a Manitoba brewing company to expand its product line. That company is the largest and longer, large, long, largest and longest operating microbrewery in Manitoba, which produces a wide range of beer products. And in 2021, they expanded and entered the ready-to-drink beverage market. Aha! Last week, the federal government announced an investment of over two of five hundred twenty thousand dollars to Fort Gary Brewing Company. This support through Prairie's Can will allow the company to respond to rising demand and enter new markets as it grows the quote Hector's hard ready to drink product line across Western Canada. Scott Shupaniuk is the general manager at Fort Gary. Scott, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Hey, very good to have you. So how big a deal is this? It's, it's really big. It's a game changer for our brewery. I, I think that, you know, over the last few years, even pre-COVID, the beer industry was seeing some headwinds with health and wellness trends and younger generations drink, drinking less beer. Uh, but we saw this spike in, in alcohol-based coolers or refreshing beverages. So without losing sight of our roots in, in craft beer, we wanted to find a way to stay competitive in this emerging segment, and we launched a brand called Hector's Hard Iced Tea. So we use our brewing equipment for blending and the packaging equipment that we have in place. And fast forward two years, we've got five different flavor extensions from the AST, and and now we'll offer Hector's Hard in, in cans as well as a, a mix pack. So it's been uh, a fun project that you know we've seen a lot of growth with, and we're excited for for the future. And the Prairies Can partnership, we're you know extremely thankful for the funding. And it's going to help us uh, fast track Hector's Heart. And what is the alcohol base? Is it, are like are these vodka products, or what? Uh, what do you use? We use a neutral grain spirit. Okay. And who is Hector? <laughs> I wish I had a better story for you, but we've just the, on the Fort Gary Brewing logo. There's a, a guy holding a barrel, and we've just decided to name him Hector. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll think of a better story, and I'll get back on the air with you guys uh, with a better one. But there is. Uh, no real story behind uh, the name Hector, just more than it cognitively sounded really good with Hector's heart. Yeah, it's sort of like when you're walking around with a cast on your foot and you, and you tripped over the nightstand in the middle of the night. You really need a better story than that, Scott. 
Yeah, we're working on it. Okay, we'll, we'll hold you to that. <laughs> we'd love to love to hear from you. These mixed drinks, though, the the idea of you know buying in a can or in a bottle uh, a beverage that's pre mixed because you know b- people love their beer, people love their you know I'm a, I'm a crown and and coke kind of guy, but this whole idea of combining the alcohols in a ready to serve beverage is, is something that's really taking over the market, isn't it? Yeah, I think we saw seltzers that, you know, if you ever traveled to the U.S., you'd see seltzers everywhere, and, and that trend slowly came to, to Canada. And so I think that that got people trying different, you know, RCD uh, beverages, and, and we're continuing to see it evolve. Uh, Hector's Hard's uh, coolers, Fort Gary did dabble in seltzers as well, uh, but we're really focusing on on coolers, and, and I think that uh, we're going to continue to see an evolution of this segment uh, you know, as we look ahead in the years to come. Yeah, I mean, I, I I remember coolers back when I turned 18. It was essentially Mike's Hard was uh, one of the leaders. Uh, Smirnoff Ice jumped into the fray. And there were there was the odd, I mean, there was a pretty sizable section of coolers. But for the most part, there were just a couple of big names. But now there are so many different kinds. You've got gin smashed. You mentioned the seltzers and uh, your, the products that you're offering. So, like, how... We were able to come up with something that that stands out because it's a yeah, business, it's a competitive market. Yeah, there's you know there's quite a bit of skews, and and I think that for us we just we saw an opportunity. Um, you know, beer was seeing headwinds, and we saw a lot of people in this this RTD segment that was just blowing up, and we saw multinational companies you know add you know refreshing beverages to their portfolio, and it really was all in an effort to try and stay competitive, and we didn't know what. Hector's Heart was going to be when we launched it. It was just really in an effort to to stay competitive and uh, in a different segment. And uh, yeah, and we're excited that it's been really receptive with Manitoba consumers. And um, you know, we've also launched Hector's Heart in Saskatchewan, and we're still selling in BC as well. So the um, how do I put this? Our our palates have. I think over the last couple of decades in Manitoba have matured somewhat. I always talk about that when it comes to wine tasting, your your palate uh, gets used to certain things and open to others. But Manitoba was one of the last provinces to this microbrewery game. Have we have we started to catch up here, Scott? I think so. I think the local beer industry is bustling. I think we the beer industry locally is, has seen growth and has bucked the trend that the total beer industry is seeing. And I think there's now... 25 brick and mortar craft breweries in Manitoba. I think two new breweries opened recently in Gimli and Dauphin. So uh, local beer is bustling. I think we're, we finally caught up or are catching up to other markets. Got to ask you while you're here, Scott, uh, with the news this morning on the, that all the union workers are off the job with this liquor strike. What does this liquor strike mean for your business and businesses like yours? Will it have an impact? Yeah, it's it's been challenging for from a local manufacturer perspective. You know, sales um, have definitely been impacted at liquor mart stores being closed, and and those stores would over-index on local craft products. Uh, we're seeing delays in promotions and programs, uh, in addition to administrative delays like price changes or launching new products. So, um, we just hope that they can reach an agreement soon and uh, and get back to business. Uh, but I. I'd encourage any listeners that have been inconvenienced by it to, to go out of their way to, to buy products directly from any local brewery or distillery. Everybody is selling cold beer or selling off sale. And I know they'd appreciate the support or I guess contrary, there's many cold beer stores in the, in the province that sell local beer. So that's where you can get local products. 
Yeah, you just exemplified one of the things I love most about this craft brewing industry is that they you, you all seem to stick up, up for and look out for one another. Yeah, and yeah, although we are competing for for taps and space on the shelf, it is a, a really tight community. And um, you know, I think that with more and more local breweries opening, it it really just rises the tide for for local craft beer and all in an effort to get more Manitoba beer drinkers adding local craft into their circle of brands to, to purchase. Well, Scott, and one of the reasons why I got excited when I saw this is uh, my dad grew up on Hector Avenue. So to see a, a drink <laughs> named Hector's Hard, I just thought, oh, that's pretty cool. So, hey, Scott, congratulations on this. Uh, hopefully this helps you expand uh, far and wide. We appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks for the support. Appreciate it. Scott Chapenyuk is the general manager at Fort Gary. Once again, they've got an investment of over $520,000 from the feds uh, to help expand the Hector's Hard ready-to-drink product line across Western Canada. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off this week. We're asking you about a surprise that you got at work. There was a good one, bad one, funny one. For a chance to win tickets for the Burt Block Party, Sunday, August 20th, when Cheap Trick and Trooper will be performing. And Jeff says, he's one of our runners up here, I worked for Winnipeg Hydro until Manitoba Hydro bought us out in 2002. And we were like a family in customer accounts back then. Well, to my shock and their amusement, three of the staff decided to hire one of those French maids called Fifi. I was totally shaken, but overall, the show wasn't all that bad in front of everyone. That's an interesting thing to show up to work for. Oh, my, oh, my. Okay. Okay. We'll just leave the rest of that there. (laughs) To your uh, imagination as well. What does Carol say? Had to think back to 1975 for this one. I was 14. Had just started working at the old International Inn on Wellington Avenue. I think that's the Victoria Inn now, if I'm not mistaken. Needed permission from my junior high principal, Mr. Matter at Sargent Park. Wedding season was in full swing. I looked older than I was, and I was taller than most of the other kids my age. I was good at carrying lots of plates and often worked the head table. The custom of clinking glasses for the couple to kiss was really big back then. Then someone inebriated, the somewhat inebriated father of the groom decided that in front of a wedding banquet of 300 people, remember this was 1975, he would grab and kiss me. I certainly was surprised, embarrassed, and somewhat disgusted. Glad that at that point I wasn't carrying anything to drop just then. Those head tables were always on risers. Wow. Good Lord. Okay, that's interesting. Mm. What do you do in that situation? Mackling, our ultimate runner-up here is Terry, who uh, brought tears came to rise when she shared this. Back in the mid-'90s, I was a single mom of two, not looking for anyone... um, Anyone content to just be with my kids? Change positions at work and first day, a courier who comes in every day showed up. Well, 29 years later, still going strong, still very much in love and very thankful. That's what happens when you're not looking. But Colin is our winner today. Colin says, I worked at a grocery store in high school and would often quite often have the opening shift on the weekends. Showing up one Saturday morning at 5 a.m., I noticed the front window of our lobby is smashed with a thick metal chain running into the lobby. 
Upon closer look before calling the police, the chain was attached to the ATM machine in the lobby. And then the chain ended up with the back bumper of a vehicle and the license plate was attached just a few further feet from the smashed glass. So the ATM, they tried to pull this ATM out. The ATM didn't move an inch as we had it bolted down after a couple of other attempts to steal it before. And I guess the wonderful smart criminals who used their own actual vehicle and license plate, by the way, gave it their all with their Dodge Neon and ripped the back bumper off in a heartbeat and they just drove away and police caught up to them pretty quick thanks to that license plate. Colin, thank you for that story. I'm sure that was not fun to deal with that morning, but it's won you tickets to the Burt Block Party. But as we get back to pre-pandemic routines, one of the industries which seems to be seeing a genuine bounce back is the world of live entertainment. Is it pent-up demand, a changing recording industry, something else? Kevin Donnelly, True North Sports and Entertainment, joins us now. KD, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? Doing well. Uh, The not long enough weekend uh, seemed to be a (laughs) success in so many places. Large events all around the province, including out in Minnedosa. Sounds like they had as large an event as they've had in years, Kevin. So many successful events, tours, super tours. Why is it that, that you think that this industry is bouncing back so well, if it is in fact doing that? Oh, it, def- it definitely is. I think that um, it, it's a, a combination of factors, of course. I mean, there, there was a pent-up demand, and, and, you know, COVID was very, very hard in this industry. And so there was not only built-up demand, but there was a built-up supply that pushed a lot of artists on the road. And it just brought all the attention to, to them. The more artists on the road, the more people are talking about the different tours. And then you have, you know, those tent poles that sort of prop up the whole thing, Taylor Swift, Morgan Wallen, Bruce Springsteen, a couple of these that just really bring sort of a heightened sense of it um, to the whole industry at large. But like Taylor Swift in a category unto herself, it's just been remarkable the amount of commerce, communication, media awareness, everything uh, around that tour. It helps the whole industry. Well, and even on Friday night, when you look at uh, in entertainment events like the Winnipeg Sea Bears, like the city was quiet. You could tell that people had already fled for the lake. And yet here are over 10,000, I think 10,580 was the, the final number. Over 10,000 people jam into Canada Life Centre to watch some basketball on the Friday night of a long weekend. And so again, it just tells people are looking to do things. People look for, for unique and new and exciting offerings. I think the Sea Bears just did a remarkable job of getting the attention of the town. And it, it just sort of developed a bit of a, you know, it was a snowball effect where it just got bigger and bigger as their season progressed. So hats off to them. Uh, a great product, a great inaugural season. Uh, disappointing ending, but that's the way that sports goes. But, uh, you know, as you said, 10,000 people came out looking for something to do. And it just brings a bit of animation and excitement, you know, in their wake. People come, it creates excitement, you know, activity in the bars, restaurants, on the street. It's definitely um, lots of positive spinoffs. Brett and I were both there on Friday night, and Kevin, I don't think there's any doubt that the success of the Sea Bears is due in part to the fact that they decided to use Canada Life Centre as the venue. Obviously, there are impacts and 
and spinoffs for the downtown. But I think the major spinoff was just being able to put on what feels like big league basketball in a big league arena. And kudos to the Jets for, you know, the on-court projection and everything seemed to be available to the Sea Bears. It, it, you know, sometimes the, the opening act so to speak, it uh, doesn't get to use all the lights and, and the full stage, but yeah. but you seem to roll out the red carpet for the Sea Bears. Do you think well, that made a difference? I, oh, I, I definitely think it does, and thank you for noticing. I, you know, I think that you know they made the decision. At one point, they were considering the, the U of M gym, which would have been great, but it, it, it's so far south, it's sort of a little bit out of the mindset from a, lot, a large amount of the community that, that would be north of Portage Avenue. And, and, and so when we uh, lobbied for them to come here and we settled on them being a tenant here. You know, the the goal was to give them the best palette and the best opportunity to put on a big show. And so Winnipeg is the only market in that league where they're playing in an NHL building. So the ability to have all the, all the tools and all the toys that, that we enjoy with the our NHL and, and AHL product to allow them to do the same thing, like you said, the scoreboard, the ribbon board, all the, all the technology um, just enhances that show. And you can tell the crowd, the crowd responds. They, they tell their friends it's a good, it's a good offering. It's great fun. And it just, uh, I think it's really set them up for hopefully a long, long history here in Winnipeg. Kevin Donnelly with True North Sports and Entertainment is our guest. And Kevin, hard to believe when I say this out loud that Canada Life Centre is approaching its 19th birthday. <laughs> now, the Winnipeg Arena, the old barn, they were lucky. It was lucky enough to get a couple, maybe a handful of concerts a year. So how mm-hmm. has this facility changed the attractiveness of Winnipeg? Well, I think I think for sure just being downtown. Like, we like you know, the, the Sea Bears benefited from being downtown, uh, being a downtown arena, uh, that was sort of the, the trend at the time that we were looking to, to develop it. I cannot believe we're approaching our 19th anniversary. It makes me feel as old as I do feel sometimes. And um, But I think that, you know, um, being, you know, a state of the art and continuing, we've made just literally approaching 100 million in investments back into the building. We're still undergoing some some major renovations this summer that'll be complete for the start of hockey season, but being able to 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 be in the discussion technologically and 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 with the support of all the major arenas to talk about all these major tours to come to Winnipeg, it's it's really changed our opportunity. I still have my last uh, annual budget from the Winnipeg Enterprises Winnipeg Arena where there were nine shows in a year, and uh, and nine shows is what we call October. And so, you know, we, uh, you know, we're now in the 40 to 50 shows annually, major concerts in the arena. Uh, you know, we, we announced the Burton Cummings Theater did 101 events last year. All this activity just comes because, you know, we're working day in, day out on that industry, on entertainment. It's not just something we do in between hockey. It's something we've really targeted to, to try to develop and build. And again, the spinoffs are huge. They fill hotel rooms, they fill restaurants, they bring people downtown, parking lots, uh, bring safety to the streets when you have this many people out there. Um, so it's important to the fabric, we think. And, and, you know, it's been a fun 19 years and we're looking forward to the next 19. Uh, 19 years or more ago, and I'm not going to comment or judge what, what you were doing, you know, 20, 25 years ago. But I know for me, the habit of going out on a Tuesday, on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday night to see live music, to be in a club and to be out and about. That's changed dramatically. How important is it? You mentioned the BERT. How important, Kevin, is it to have the BERT under the True North umbrella and to make 
going out, going to concerts, going to events, whether it be live, live comedy, uh, comedy or the, or, or the uh, Lord of the Dance, how important is it to, for that to be a habit for people? Uh, I think it's I think it's incredibly important. I think that you know having having this building under our wing, it's it, it's the same sort of importance as us having a relationship with the Blue Bombers, trying to get shows into the stadium. And we've been successful. A bit of bit of a drought, I'll admit, lately. But we've got you know ongoing discussions, and it just tells you the competition for those events and the impact of the community for those events is just so huge. So, uh, you know, we've had Taylor Swift, we've had Paul McCartney, Guns N' Roses, Beyonce, Jay-Z at the stadium. Being able to service those tours is just as important as being able to help develop the new acts that are coming up and those legacy acts that are still playing. You know, like 25 years ago, some of the names we were working with are coming to the arena, like we have Kiss this fall, Bruce Springsteen, you know, has been around forever. Um, but 25 years ago, I was promoting Lord of the Dance shows, amongst all things, so... Um, what comes around goes around, it seems. And then, of course, we've got two weekends of live music on the horizon outside Burton Cummings Theatre with the Burt Block Party starting this weekend. Yes, yeah, so uh, I'll paint a little picture for you. We close Smith Street. We close uh, um, the, the roads right in front of the Burton Cummings Theatre, and we take the two parking lots that are adjacent, and we, we create a festival site. So it's a bit of a concrete jungle, but we think it works really well. We add some lighting and some other things to really sort of enhance the area. But we put up a major stage, a bunch of food trucks come in with a fully licensed site, and then great entertainment. We run for five five nights, uh, this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and next weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. This weekend, the 11th, we have the Strambellas on uh, Friday and Billy Talent on the 12th. And next weekend, Brett Kissel, Glass Tiger, and Cheap Trick on the Sunday. So... Great fun, great entertainment. Gates open at about 5, runs till 11 to 12 each night, but it's fun. It's downtown, cool urban setting, our landscape, our cityscape as the backdrop. And in the summer with decent weather, you can't have a better setting. You got your uh, steel toads on uh, to go, and I see there's a big pile of gravel there. There's still some landscaping to do at Kevin Walters Park. You, you going to be on that this morning or what, Kev? Uh, we're, you know, all over. We're painting and scraping, but, you know, the, the hard work is done. Like, the, the, the road has been reconfigured. If you've been by uh, Notre Dame and Ellis, you'll see there's been major construction. That's completed, and now Phase 2 is, as you mentioned, Kevin Walters Park. Uh, the landscaping, that'll start after the festivals are over. So that's that's Phase 2. Phase 1 was the realignment of the streets, which are done, and they did an unbelievable job, and so thrilled that they got it done for our festivals. So, uh, all going strangely according to plan. Kevin Donnelly with True North Sports and Entertainment. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure to talk to you, sir. Appreciate the time.